I want you to think um, about, maybe it even happened today, where you, you asked somebody or you were asked by somebody that customary question, hey, how are you doing? Just think for a moment. Do you remember what your answer was? Okay, the most frequent answer I think I hear and probably give is this, good but busy, right? I'm busy, but good busy. Sometimes not so good busy, but busy. Busy is always a part of that vocabulary, or at least it seems to be more often than not. And I think that's because we are a busy culture. We are busy people. And listen, being busy isn't necessarily bad or wrong. In fact, it's good to be busy and to have a life that is full of meaningful things, not trivial things, meaningful things. In that sense, Jesus himself was busy. He was busy with good things. The problem is not when you have a lot to do, but too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry to just stay busy, to be frantic and frenetic about getting things done. I I fear that we are often too busy. Many of us in here, we feel busy. We feel distracted. We feel tired. I mean, I, I can't be the only one who feels like that, right? Most of us do because we live in a culture that is addicted to hurry. We want to slow down and rest, but we can't because... The high of achievement, the high of productivity or of hurry, it's just so tempting and alluring and it just sucks us in. And busyness is actually transformed by many of us from being a burden to something that we boast in, right? It's a badge of honor to say that we're busy. It's it's a sign that we're, we're doing something with our lives. You know, I'm just really busy. You know, life is busy. Look how significant I am. Look how important I must be. Look at what I must be accomplishing. Sadly, it has become a badge of honor to be praised, not a mark of messiness to be avoided. Deep down, our restless hearts long for a break. They long for peace. They long for quiet. And all the parents in the room said, amen. Just a moment. Deep down, listen, every one of us longs for rest. We long for rest. And here in Genesis chapter 2, just in the three verses we're going to look at today, we're being given an invitation to divine rest. And it's woven into creation as a kind of rest that is intended to revive us, reorient us, and ultimately redeem us. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, The Word of God says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation." I just simply want to ask and answer a question for us today. I want to ask this question, why does God invite me into His divine rest? 
Why does God invite me into his divine rest? And I want to answer it three ways. First, because resting in God revives my life. It, it, it metaphorically speaking, brings me life back from the dryness or deadness that we often experience. Now, we've been marching through a chapter one here, and the creation narrative is actually uniquely structured. We've spent a, a, a significant portion of time looking at how Moses is a, a literary genius, the way that he has structured this passage to kind of highlight or emphasize certain realities. But really, the, the unique structure of this passage is intending to highlight two things in particular. One we've already looked at, and that is the creation of humanity as the pinnacle of God's creative activity. But ultimately, it's leading us even further to that. It's pushing beyond that. It's almost as if the text is telling us that the most important thing we can pay attention to is what we've just read in this text. It is this idea of a, a seventh day where there is no more creative work of God, where God simply pulls back and he rests from all the work of creation. Seven is a, a number of completion. It's recognized to be, in many ways, one of the most important numbers in Jewish literature. It's a number of perfection. It's a number that represents wholeness. We've, we've looked at this in chapter one already. We, we might say it like this, seven is God's number. It's a divine number. It's incredibly significant. And what's fascinating is that Moses is actually structured, verses 2 and 3 in particular, in a way that emphasizes again the number 7. Verses 2 and 3 contain four lines, the first three of which are parallel. Each of those lines possesses seven words in the Hebrew. With the midpoint of each line, the center point, the focal point of each line, having the same phrase, the seventh day. This is, again, just one of several ways that Moses is highlighting the importance of this final day. Let me say it like this. We might say that God is wanting to indicate that the seventh day is his day. It's a day about him in a unique way. So after six days of universe sculpting work, God rests, and in doing so, he built a rhythm into creation itself. I want you to consider this. This is the first mention of rest in the Bible, and it is absolutely fascinating that it relates to God. I want you to think about that. God. God rested. God who doesn't need sleep or slumber, God who doesn't need a day off, God who doesn't get tired or weary or burnt out. He is without parallel in the universe. There is no one like him. He is power. And yet we're told that God rested. Verse 2, we see that word rest it pops, us, pops up again in verse 3. But the word rested is the Hebrew word Shabbat. It's, it's where we get the word Sabbath. If you know anything about the Jewish faith or you've read through the Old Testament, that word Sabbath, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is going to come up over and over and over again. It's also translated to stop or to cease. So I want you to think about that as it relates to rest. Rest. 
It means to stop or to cease, but built into this word in the Hebrew is also this idea of to celebrate. So so there's this sense in which the rest that God intends is spelled out in the very language that is being used. It It is to stop and to cease from all kinds of work in order to actually pause and to celebrate the meaning and purpose and center of all life. Uh, One author who wrote a book, a fantastic book on the Sabbath entitled, uh, his name is A.J. Swoboda. He says this, the Sabbath is a celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and the one who made it all. It's it's like an artist who stepped back from sculpting this masterful piece of art and now he puts the tools down. He just steps back and he looks at what he's done and he rejoices in its beauty, in its glory. I want you to notice as well that this day stands apart. We saw this when we went through the, the creation days briefly, but there's something unique about the seventh day. Every other day has an evening and morning, but it's fascinating that when he mentions the seventh day, it has neither. It's an open-ended day. And I think that the reason for this is theological in nature. It's, it's theologically significant. It's not just as if Moses forgot to add this in. It wasn't some kind of editorial mistake that he made. He realizes that literal days have a, a beginning and an end, and so it's significant here that he pulls back at the seventh day and he says, hold on a second here, I want to make sure something's not there so I can emphasize something incredibly important. And here's the idea that we've seen as we've looked at Genesis chapter 1. Remember, we've used this language of God building a cosmic temple. The the universe is, is like God's cosmic temple, and he's formed it, and he's filled it. But now, listen, he has finished it. And the point is, this point of the seventh day, it's like this. God's looking at this marvelous, beautiful temple that has been designed just the way he wants it. His house is finished, and now what is this God going to do? He is going to come and dwell in his home. His presence is going to fill his temple. The seventh day is in one sense intended, listen, to be a never-ending day. A day into which God invites humanity to come into his presence. And I want you to see this because it's never-ending, the intent is that humanity will dwell with God in his presence forever and ever and ever. They will come into his presence and they will know him and the eternal rest that's found in relationship with him and in celebration and worship of him forever. And it's fascinating what's going on here because he says something unique in verse 3. You'll notice that it says God blessed the seventh day. Now, if you have been kind of paying attention to some of the language that Moses has been using, you'll know this, that this is only the third time that God has blessed something in his creative activity. The first time is all the way back in verse 22 of chapter 1. It says this, and God blessed them. What's he referring to here? Well, the creatures that he has created. Notice this. The creatures blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Then flip over to verse 28 
I knew we'd work this verse in on, on Dedication Sunday. Verse 28, after he creates man and woman, male and female in his own image, listen to what he says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You see, it's interesting that everything that is blessed, the way he ties blessing into it, it's, it's about life. It's about the propagation of life. It's about the flourishing of life and the thriving of life. Can you see this? So here's what you gotta see. The seventh day is intended to be a life-giving day. It's telling us, listen, that the true and best life is always found in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God is to know life. It is to thrive in life. It is to enjoy life the way it was intended to be enjoyed. And there's no way that humanity can accomplish their God-given purpose unless they know this life and live in this life. And the very idea of blessing here can actually mean, and I believe does here, to fill with power. Now, this idea of rest comes from God's desire to see us flourish and thrive. It's like God's expressing his desire for his his creatures, his creation, the people that he's made as the pinnacle of, of his creative work. He loves us and he wants us to live with him and to flourish because of it. It flows out of his love and desire to bless us with life. Genesis chapter 2, we'll get there next week. God creates people and he invites them into his rest. I want you to consider this. God creates humanity on the sixth day. And so technically speaking, the first day that humanity wakes up, guess which day it is? It's the seventh day. They're waking up to the presence of God. True life is found in the presence of God, in relationship with him, true rest is found. Here's what you need here. True rest is found in dwelling with and delighting in him. Let me say that again. You're going to hear this frequently in this message. True rest is found in dwelling with and delighting in him. We know this, that this concept of rest that was intended to be enjoyed forever is lost in the fall where Adam and Eve, they, they rebel against God. They choose not to live life with God, but rebel against him. And as a result, they're exiled from the presence of God. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But one of the things we see unfolding in the grand story of Scripture, in this beautiful story of redemption, is that God seeks to restore that rest through the restoration of fellowship with humanity. And he does that in establishing places of rest which will exemplify his presence, such as the tabernacle and the temple and the land. If you look at all those passages, you frequently hear this idea of rest being tied to these places and these places being all about the presence of God with man. The law comes along, and and just for context context, uh, sake, recall that when Moses and the Israelites were reading this, They already possessed the law of God. It wasn't just like they were just reading about the creation account. They had the law in their hands. They had the the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They knew what God had said. They understood much of this already. And so what they see here is significant. It helps them understand the rhythms of their own lives. Because the law comes along and the Sabbath becomes a command. Not just an invitation, but a command that they must do. 
It becomes a regular reminder of the rest that is not only needed to thrive in life, but the rest that is found only in the giver of life. It's an invitation to to constantly come back to the source and sustenance of life. It's a frequent reminder for the people of God that without devoted time to Him, putting aside other things, they will never know the true meaning of life. They'll never live it properly. In a fallen world, we see this, the regular rhythm of working six days and resting one day become the norm. The Jews had long practiced the art of Sabbath, and they understood it as a specific or unique kind of rest. Now, on the Jewish calendar, the Sabbath rest was actually Friday evening to Saturday evening. But when they thought about this kind of rest, this Sabbath, it was not simply taking a nap or kicking your feet up. It's not just a day to not work. It's actually a day to delight, to celebrate, and to worship. It's an invitation, in other words, to hit the pause button on the busyness of life, to cease from striving, to stop working. Sabbath, by the way, it makes no sense if it's not paired with hard work. Do you realize that? Sabbath makes no sense if it's not paired with hard work. If you just lay around your house all week, that's not Sabbath. That's laziness, okay? There's a cadence and a a rhythm to God's design here. Work hard, rest well, repeat. Work hard, rest well, repeat. What happens in our culture is that we work all the time and we try to mix in rest here and there, which leads to a a weird place where we don't really work hard or rest well. We just keep going in a hurried, busy state and we look like a bunch of zombies. I'm looking at some. I feel like one. You see, God calls us to work hard and rest well. Notice it's an invitation to rest in God, okay? In God. This is so important to understand. That needs to be emphasized because what we're, what we're talking about here is not just some generic wisdom about health and wellness that anyone could agree with, regardless of what they believe about God. All right, everybody thinks that a regular vacation and a day off is a good idea, right? Like the world believes that. Lots of religions talk about the importance of quietness and solitude and meditation. You can find that anywhere. Listen, this is really significant. The presence of the Lord is the difference, and resting in Him makes the Sabbath what it is. The presence of the Lord. So I just want to quickly give you three distinctively Christian reasons, okay, to slow down and rest. Just three distinctively Christian reasons. The first is this. We can rest because we know God reigns. I mean, that's the beauty of the creation narrative, right? The whole point, in one sense, is to tell us that our God is the God of the entire cosmos. The entire universe belongs to Him. There's no other God but Him. He rules the universe. He's sovereign king. And if that's true, listen, if that is our God, it means that the world doesn't revolve around us. It means that it's not dependent upon us. It means we can rest because he reigns. And really, can I just say this? That your ability to rest in him is actually one of the greatest litmus tests of your faith. Your inability to rest in him should tell you that your faith is actually very small. 
Secondly, we can rest because we have nothing to prove. And so much of our lives are driven, the hurriedness, the busyness, the relentless frenetic pace is driven because, listen, we're constantly trying to prove something to other people, maybe even to ourselves, to find our value, our worth, and our significance. You know, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We've got to have the next thing, the best thing. We've got to do more, right? We're addicted to, to approval and addicted to accomplishment. But we need to remember that if, if we are God's children and we're in Christ today, listen, we have nothing to prove. We're not, we're not accepted before God because of anything we've done. We're accepted because of everything that he has done. Amen? Amen. He's done it all. He accomplished it all. So when God looks at us, he's not kind of got his, you know, his, his, his book out going like this. Well, let me see if you measure up today. Let me see if you've done enough to get yourself into my good books. Let me see if, if, if you qualify and are approved and are sufficient. No, he looks at Jesus Christ and his ledger, and guess what? His ledger is perfect. And he says, based on my son, Jesus Christ, all that he has accomplished, you are accepted by me. You are approved by me. You are loved by me. You don't need to live to prove anything to anyone. As the great theologian Kanye West said last week, we live for an... <laughs> we, we <laughs> Come on, just let me get it out. <laughs> we live for an audience of one. We don't live to prove anything to anyone. We live to honor God. And we live to honor God because we are already approved by God. Thirdly, we can rest, listen, because God is our rest. We don't have to go seeking anything from God. We don't have to do anything for God. We get God. Because <laughs> like, I'm your rest. You read that through the Psalms, right? God is your rock and your refuge, a strong tower. And when you run into him, you are safe, secure. And when you run into the presence of God, listen, you find rest for your weary soul. verse 3, we see that the, the weariness of work is countered with resting in God. God blessed one day a week to revive our life, to bring us back to life, so to speak, back in a significant and a, listen, a saturated way into His presence where everything else falls by the wayside and the only thing that matters is dwelling with and delighting in Him. And if we can figure out how to do that, listen, life comes flooding back into our lives. Rest is a fountain of life. Revives us with energy and creativity and vision and strength and optimism and joy and clarity and hope. Second, why does God invite me into his rest? Here's why. Because resting in God reorients my focus. It reminds us that life is not all about me. It's all about him. And we need this because so often the push and pull of life, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, the trials, the circumstances, the difficulties, the pressures, the demands, it keeps us in this kind of hurried state or this self-centered state where our focus is solely on ourselves. It's about me and what I'm doing. And God's like, hold on a second here. You're so busy looking at yourself. You need at least a day a week just to get your eyes off of yourself and to get them more concentrated on me. God not only blessed the seventh day, but did you notice what else he does in verse 3? He makes it holy. 
It's the first time the word holy is used in the Scriptures, which helps inform every other time it's used. And what the word holy ultimately means is to be set apart, to be consecrated. And it's fascinating here that the first time holy is used, isn't it interesting? It's not even about God, it's about time. It's about a time that is set apart, that is significant, that is consecrated and devoted to Him. Not all moments are created equal. I think we understand this. Some moments are much better and much sweeter and much more meaningful than others. I remember a a number of years ago now, my family and I got to go on a sabbatical. And um, I remember at the end, sabbatical, by the way, comes from the word Sabbath, a rest. And and one of the the things we did at the end of our sabbatical time was we, we had each of our kids tell us what they valued most about the time that the church graciously gave us to be together and to get some refreshment and some encouragement. And um, to a child, they all said this. They said, time with you, Dad. I'll never forget it. I'm pretty sure Caleb, who was really young at the time, was just doing it because his older sibling said it. But nonetheless, I'm taking it as a win. (laughs) And parents, you, you know this. You know this instinctively, parents. And if you're a child, you know this. You know You know how significant this is. It's not about how much you get for your child, right? We often think that love is measured by what we can get for our child, the things we can give to them. But but really, I think especially as we grow older, we understand it's not about what we get for them. It's how much of them we give. How much of ourselves do we give to them? How much of us do they get? There's a joy and delight and rest that they get from quality time with you. And that actually enables, isn't it amazing? It actually, the quality time they get from you enables them to thrive in life in a lot of ways. And you know who else modeled this in his life? Jesus. And for all the busyness of Jesus' life and all the things he was doing, people constantly at his door, and, and Jesus do this, and Jesus heal me, and Jesus do this, Jesus do this, Jesus come over here. One of the things Jesus never forsook was time alone with the Father. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I feel so busy, so tired, so depleted, and I need the constant reminder that rest is found in the presence of God. It's not about what you get from God but how much of God you get. And the good news is that God, as a loving father, says, you can have all of me. I'm not holding anything back from you. And so you see Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath becomes a day where you strive to savor every second because it's holy. And again, Sabbath isn't just about what you don't do, but what you create space to do. I'll sum it up again Like this, Sabbath is about hitting the pause button in life in order to rest by dwelling with and delighting in God. It's a focused, intentional rest. And here's what this this means, okay? Here's what it doesn't mean. It's not just about, you know, Netflix binging or going down the YouTube vortex. It's not about an Instagram black hole. It's not about throwing ourselves into shopping on Amazon all afternoon or Facebook posts all day long. It's about dwelling with God, where we pause from our obsession with doing to focus on just being. To recognize that what matters most is not what we do for God, but that we get to be with God. I love 
What David writes in Psalm 27, verse 4, it's such an incredible psalm. Be on the screen behind me here. This is David. Listen, one thing. If you had one thing to ask, what would it be? Listen to what David says. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now I want you to put that in perspective in the Garden of Eden and humanity in the first temple of God who had everything they needed in the presence of God. David's like, that's what I want. To dwell with God. You see, Sabbath is, is about presence over production. We know what production is, right? We all get that. But let me ask you, do you know what presence is? Let me use that illustration of a father with his child again. The, the most significant statement you can hear from a child is, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And you say, God, God wants us to come to him and say, God, Father, I, I just want to be with you. I, I'm not here to ask anything from you. I'm not here to tell you what I've done for you. I simply want to sit with you and enjoy you and rejoice in being with you. And listen, I get this. This idea of dwelling, it, it's so hard for a culture that's addicted to hurry, isn't it? It's so hard. I, 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 like, listen, I'm preaching to myself right now. It's so hard to just not do anything. Sit. To be quiet. Again, A.J. Swoboda on Sabbath, he talks about our addiction to hurry and this invitation to rest. And listen to what he says. It's such a good quote. Just listen. He says, our, our 24-7 culture conveniently provides every good and service we want, when we want it, how we want it. Our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and more interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history, yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological impulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning, value, and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on edge. We have an inability to simply sit still and be. Man, does this ever define our culture. Listen, listen. Man, does this ever define us? We are distracting ourselves into an oblivion. Most of us have an attention span worse than a goldfish. That's not long, in case you didn't know. One trip around the bowl. It's all new every time. Our focus is, is distracted. We're disoriented by this world. I mean, I, I remember I used to work at a bank years and years ago, and I was a teller, and um, I worked at the bank at a time where, where you could, do you remember the time where you stood in a bank line and you didn't have a smartphone and all you could do was just sit and look? It's a foreign feeling to, to, to many of us. It's harder to process. That's what it was like, right? You just sat there. You just waited forever. 
now, like the, the moment we get a spare second of quietness and solitude, what do we do? Check this. I got to text that person. Look this up. Watch this. Scroll through social media. I mean, it's crazy. A carpal tunnel syndrome in the thumb is up a thousand percent. I'm just kidding. I made that stat up. It's, but, <laughs> but like, I imagine that's got to be true. Somebody's got to go into that, okay? If you're a young person, get into medicine and just strictly focus on carpal tunnel syndrome in the thumb because this is all we do. The second we get bored, just scroll. Just look at something else. Distraction, entertainment, anything to keep our mind busy and to, listen, prevent us from simply pausing and being still. I love, I love what Psalm 46.10 says. Be still and know that I am God. And you know what's so fascinating? The translation for be still there literally means this. Cease striving and know that I am God. And in Hebrew, uh, the term for cease literally means, this is fascinating, to sink. I mean, are you tired? I know you are. Some of you are just exhausted. Well, listen, then sink into the fatherly arms of God. Let him hold you. Just be with him. Sabbath is all about dwelling with God. I love what Walter Adams says. He says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry, he says, is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. One author says it like this, the need of the hour is for a slow down spirituality. You notice that? The Bible never says, hey, make sure you're doing well in your run with the Lord. It calls you to walk with God. And I would encourage you to think about how slowly you ought to be walking with God. It's about dwelling with God, and like I said, it's also about delighting in God. And by the way, this is hard because we think, well, this is going to be boring. It's going to be so frustrating, right, to just simply slow our lives down and to sit and be quiet with God. You know, it's, it's, we have this idea that we're just going to a monastery and sitting in solitude all day, but that's not what it is. No, it's about delighting in, in God by enjoying the gifts that he gives us. You see, people who Sabbath, they know how to delight it's about devoting your attention to the, the Creator's presence, His beauty, His glory all around you. It's a weekly reminder that draws our gaze away from the cares of the world, all of our worries and responsibilities of the week, and it simply reorients our focus back to our glorious God. It reminds us that He matters more than anything, and being with Him is better than anything this world has to offer. Lastly, why does God invite me into his divine rest? Here's why. Because resting in God redeems my soul. God intended the Sabbath rest to be a reminder of his saving grace post-fall. And it's expanded, again, post-fall to include not only this idea of a, a celebration of God as creator, but also a celebration of God as redeemer. In fact, listen to what Deuteronomy 5 Verse 15 says, 
It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Listen to this. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. In other words, in the history of Israel, Every Sabbath day, every seventh day was a, was a day where they not only looked back to the God who created all things, they looked back to the God who delivered them from slavery. He is our redeemer. He is the one who rescued us when we could not rescue ourselves. It looked back to the Passover day where that lamb was, was killed and his blood was taken and sprinkled over the, the doorposts of the house and they were able to march out free for the first time in 400 years. It also reminds us that this rest is based upon sacrifice. Later in the Old Testament, the, the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was also connected to this idea of rest in Exodus 33, verse 14. Listen to what, what Moses writes there. He says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. As you go into the land, you're, you're just, I'm going I'm, I'm to be with you and I'm going to give you rest. And we saw this a couple summers ago. We went through the book of Joshua and, and we looked at the promised rest of God that this was pointing us to a greater rest. There was going to be a time and a place where God would come and dwell permanently with his people. All his enemies, all sin, all idol worship, all rebellion would be dealt with and God would finally give full and complete rest to his people. He would be with them. He'd be with them forever. And Israel, as they sojourned as Strangers and aliens, they entered into that land by the grace of God, by the price of redemption, that Passover lamb. And, and Joshua, whose name is Jesus, by the way, was leading them into rest. Relationship with God and rest in God are dependent upon redemption from God. And the longing for rest points us all the way forward and comes to a head in Jesus, who claimed not just to be Lord, but who claimed in the Gospels specifically to be Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was always doing miracles, right? Healing people and feeding people on the Sabbath, and it drove the Pharisees crazy. They create all kinds of laws and parameters around the Sabbath day, and, and, and they, they love to show their self-righteousness off by how they kept the Sabbath. Here comes Jesus doing all kinds of things that they despised him for on the Sabbath, and Jesus' response is, don't you understand? I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am master of the Sabbath. And besides, you've missed the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made to, to not be a burden on life, but to be a blessing for life. And Jesus said, the Sabbath is pointing to me. Jesus says, it's fulfilled in me. I am fulfilling it, and I will transform it. You see... He goes beneath the surface of what we're doing with our time. And he goes to the very depths of our soul because the problem behind a, a frantic life, listen, the problem behind a frantic life is a restless heart. 
And that's what's going on in our, our culture. It's going on in many of our lives. It's not just a time management issue. issue. No, we have restless, frantic hearts. We're addicted to accomplishment and defined by what we do and what we have, and we can't stop or slow down. And as a result, we're exhausted. We're weary. And I love what Augustine famously said. He said this. He said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The antidote for a restless soul is a redeemed soul. And a redeemed soul that is living in sweet, intimate relationship with God. And because of the fall, we get this. This is an exhausting world. In the Old Testament, again, God seeks to restore that rest that was lost in Eden through that restoration of fellowship with humanity establishing those places of rest that exemplify his presence, the the temporal, the tabernacle, the land, and the rest is, is forfeited. This is amazing. Israel goes into the land, and then they forfeit the land, the rest and the presence of God because of their sin again. Just like Adam loses Eden, Israel loses the land. But Jesus comes to restore God's rest by establishing fellowship with God through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. He is the redemption. He is the sacrificial lamb that leads people out of slavery to sin, the weariness and exhaustion of life apart from God, and he brings us by his grace and for his glory directly back into the presence of God the Father. He is the temple, and he comes to establish his dwelling in a new temple, the church. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, on the screen behind me, dealing with the fulfillment of the Sabbath, here's what the author of Hebrews writes, for we have believed, we who have believed, enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That is the disobedient, rebellious people in the wilderness. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, there he is. He ties that rest all the way back to creation. He shows God's people that he always intended them to enter that rest. And he shows what prevents us from entering that rest. An unbelieving heart that continues to live in rebellion against God, the creator and redeemer of mankind. We enter, you see, into this rest now by faith, into an eternal rest, a deep soul rest. And the gospel deepens this idea of Sabbath, not just so that we can dwell with God, listen, but so that God can come and dwell with us. We see striving to delight in God, but through the gospel, we know that God delights in us. We stop from work so we can rest in God, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to rest upon us. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath and he transforms it. The Old Testament Sabbath was a a day a a week. In the New Testament, it's not a day of the week, but it's in Christ who is yesterday, today, and forever. Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The reality was always Christ. It was always pointing to Jesus. 
He's the substance and the reality. He is our Sabbath rest. And he offers rest to the weary, doesn't he? Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, come on church, rest. He makes it possible for God's people to enter into his rest, both now through faith in Christ, but also, listen, in the future, when the full rest will be restored in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no temple in that place because God himself will be with his people. So let me ask you, listen, have you entered into that rest? Have you entered into that rest today? Hebrews tells us that today, listen, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts like they did. Don't harden your heart in unbelief. Listen, today if you hear his voice, let today be the day of your salvation. And let this be the day. You're so weary. You're so tired of trying to claw your way to God or, or be approved by God or you're so tired of living in rebellion to God. Today, listen, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Come to him in faith and find rest for your weary soul. That's the invitation he gives to you today. But having said that, listen, we have a Sabbath rest that, yes, redeems our souls. But church, listen, this is really important, and we're going to close on this. We have a Sabbath rest that also rearranges our schedules. And I just want to take a couple minutes here to give you some practical application I want to talk to you about the rhythms that are necessary for our lives in order to experience the rest of God in a, in a fuller way. So I just want to give you three rhythms of rest. I'm going to try to apply these principles of Scripture that we've looked at in a, in a helpful way. Um, most of this isn't, isn't, isn't mandatory. I'm not suggesting this is commanded. And in some ways, maybe this will just be a help for you to think about how this idea, this principle of a Sabbath rest can be applied in your own life. I want to try to help you think through this. And the goal is here to incre increase the joy of your life and the blessing of God upon your life. So here's, here's the first one that, that I want to give you. Live from rest, not for rest. Live from rest, not for rest. Now here's why this is important, because this is so different than how we often view rest. We usually work towards rest, right? And the weekend's coming, right? Just got to get to the weekend. Eventually we'll get to the weekend and everything will be fine. And believe me, I get that mentality. Actually, I don't because the weekends are the most stressful part of my life. <laughs> but I want you to see this, that, that this needs to be proactive in our lives instead of reactive, okay? Oftentimes, we run to rest because we've blown ourselves up. We're, we're just, we just, we've been working, we're so busy, we're so frenetic, we haven't been seeking rest, and then all of a sudden, everything just implodes, and we react to the situation. We need to be people who are proactive in fighting for rest, and that requires us to learn to live from rest, not for rest. Let me say it again. Humanity's first day was a Sabbath rest. They operate from the rest that they have in God. So let me just apply this practically. This is why I think I'm, I'm such a huge fan of starting your day with God. Start your day in the presence of God. Listen, in quietness, in solitude, opening his word. I mean, brew a cup of that sweet heavenly nectar. Enjoy it to the glory of God. 
Sit down, open the word, just sit and pray, God, God, I, I want to see your glory. I want to know you more. And then feast on God as he gives himself to you through his revealed word. Just pause. Don't run. Don't hurry through it. Walk quietly and slowly and pause and slow down and reread and pray it back to God and reflect on your life and confess sin and rejoice in salvation. Rejoice in grace that's showered upon you in the mercies that are new to you every single morning. And then go out and live from the rest you've already received from Jesus Christ. That's what a sweet way to begin a day, huh? Secondly, have regular times of real rest. And when I say real rest, I mean biblical rest. And let me make this maybe more practical. Let me encourage you to pick a day a week and a week a year for some kind of Sabbath rest. And let me just, before you say like, well, I don't know, my schedule. Listen, we don't lack time, we lack discipline. Most of us. There there may be the odd exception, and if you're too busy then you're too busy. And that's God saying to you today, stop, cease, (laughs) rest. A day a week and a week of year, and let me just tell you, this takes intentional effort here to create rhythms of rest. It's, It's ironic, isn't it? You actually have to strive and work in order to rest or it won't happen naturally. A day a week. By by the way, you're not under obligation Um, In the New Testament, the Old Testament, it was required and commanded. I believe that it's not required in the same way in the New Testament. But for most of us, listen, Sunday is the day that we Sabbath. And historically, the pattern of Sabbath for the Jewish people was replaced by the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday. Isn't it interesting? God's Day, the Lord's Day, the day we find rest. And by the way, Sundays, do you realize Sundays is in many ways the eighth day of creation? Do you realize that? It's, it's like we are a new creation in Christ, amen? Sunday is resurrection day. It's the day the new creation began. It's already, but it's not yet. And so there's a sense in which God is, listen, giving us a chance at the beginning of the week to just pause and reflect on the source of all of our life and joy, Jesus Christ. So in a sense, the scriptures tell us to not neglect meeting together. And part of the reason we gather together regularly is because we are striving, as Hebrews 4 says, to enter into that rest. And we encourage one another all the more until that day draws near. We realize, listen, that so much of our rest is dependent upon our ability to pursue the Lord together, to flee sin, to run towards holiness. And we do that in the context of community You say, what am I supposed to do? Well, I would encourage you, make it a day where you're not buying and selling. Cease striving from your typical day-to-day work. Worship, celebrate, exalt in God in specific ways, in life-giving ways. And that means a change of pace. Do something that is different. Something that's restful. Somebody said this, um, they said, maybe consider it opposite day. Okay, the, the thing that you normally do on all of your regular days, do the opposite. So for me, I read theology all week. I think about problems and how am I going to you know, write a sermon and what am I going to convey to you. And, and, and so on the weekends, you know, maybe I stop reading theology for a little bit and read a little bit of fiction. Just have a little bit of fun. 
I don't know what it is for you. It's different for everybody in one sense, but let me encourage you to pause one day a week, maybe one week a year. It's, it's different than simply a vacation. It's a longer extended pause to dwell with and delight in God, sink into the arms of God a little bit deeper. Listen, that's what we do here together every Sunday. Lastly, unplug from technology and connect in person with people. This one's commanded in the Bible. Just kidding. I just think it needs to be said in our day and age. Listen, tech and social media can be useful, but if you don't have deliberate rhythms, listen, they will wear on your soul in an unhealthy way. You need to be deliberate and disciplined in how you use these things if you're going to be a person of rest and peace. Take a social media Sabbath every week. Maybe one week a year. Simply learn to turn it off. Shut down your phone. Refuse to turn it on. You need times in your life where you're simply unavailable. No phones in the room. No phone zones in the house. No phones at the table. Let me encourage you, listen, when you're doing your, your daily worship, your time with the Lord, use a physical Bible. And this is, again, it's not commitment. This is just maybe wisdom. Why? Because when you look at your phone, what do you think? Like you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden, oh, I could just really quickly check my email. Oh, a text just came through. Just a physical Bible just to get, maybe just get away from technology that just inundates our life and absorbs us so quickly. But let me just say this. It's not just unplugging from technology, but rather connecting in person with people. Part of the purpose of unplugging is connecting with community. Sabbath in the scriptures is inherently communal. We have this tendency to take spiritual disciplines that are inherently communal and individualize them. There's time to be alone and times of connecting. Do them both in ways that are life-giving, restful, and healthy. Listen, church, we are called to be a people of rest amidst a busy culture, to slow down, to dwell with and delight in God, to pause and be thankful for the God who is with us and the God who constantly provides everything we need. Happy Thanksgiving. Be thankful today that God invites us into his divine rest. And when we learn to rest in him, we will be better image bearers of him in this world to whom we have been sent to offer the very same invitation of Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.